You're listening to the Gathering Church Podcast, located in Asheville, North Carolina. The Gathering is a place where you can belong before you believe. To find out more, visit gatherashville.org. Well, good morning. Welcome to The Gathering. And uh, yes, my name's Martin Jones. Uh, my wife and I, Fiona, we've been part of The Gathering for the past three years or so. And I'm really excited to be back up here sharing God's Word with you this morning. Having not been together last Sunday, uh, if you weren't with us last Sunday, or last weekend, I should say, was our Sabbath weekend, so we didn't meet together in this way. Instead, we uh, met on Saturday evening, and we had a family party sort of out there on the lawn. Uh, in fact, I, I cornered one or two of you during that time for help with an experiment. So here's what happens. I knew that I would be preaching this week, and uh, I wanted some help to prove or disprove a hypothesis. So during the course of last Saturday evening, I found four people in our church, and I gave them the same task. So I gave them the same information, I gave them the same resources, and I gave them the same time, and I wanted to see if they would produce the same results. And so here's what I did. I handed each person separately a sheet of paper, a Sharpie, and I said, I want you to draw for me a house. Whatever comes to mind when you think of a house, I told them, that's what I want you to draw for me. So let's take a look at those results, shall we? So put up the first image for us, please, this morning. Okay, so this is the first person drew a, a very traditional house. If you ask the majority of people to draw a house, this is what you'll find, a two-story thing with a pointy roof. Uh, this is a little different. It gets complicated because this person added a garage. I asked them about it, and this person said it was modeled off their parents' house, and this person spent a lot of time on the detail of the garage. So just absorb that for a moment. All right, next image, please. This one interested me. So rather than a typical pitched roof, two stories, this person took their time and drew a three-story property with a flat roof. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, this is very Charlestonian. If you've been down on the Battery in Charleston, or you know, you've seen, is it Rainbow Row down there, that you'll see a lot of properties like this. So uh, I thought that this was quite unique, and I particularly liked the dog in the top window, at least I assume it's a dog. It could be a bear, because it kind of looks a little bit like a bear. But then I thought, who would have a bear on the inside of their house? So I concluded that it was probably a dog. All right, third image, please. This fascinates me. So this reveals our context right here in Asheville. This is not a typical sticks and bricks. This is, if you don't know it, this is a yurt. So when I asked this particular person to draw a house, rather than the two-story pitched roof, they drew a yurt. And you can kind of see the angles of the building, and so I, I was really pleased that this one came out. And then finally, the fourth image, please. Now, I know what you're probably thinking when you see this. You're probably thinking, hey, it's great that he asked a second grader to also get involved in his experiment. Uh, what I will tell you, though, is that this was actually drawn by an adult member of our church. Now, this person was a little bit sensitive to the fact that this might not be of the same quality as the other houses, and so I, I made a promise. 
And the promise was I wouldn't reveal this person's identity. And I really don't want to break my word to our associate pastor, Mikey Holmes. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to leave it right. Wait, what? What's that? We've got, a, we've, got a, we've got a fifth image coming in remotely? Where's the fifth image coming in remotely? Okay. If you are visiting with us this morning, our lead pastor, John Mark, spent a number of years serving in the Coast Guard. And uh, if you uh, come back, and you must come back, by the way, I'm just a pinch hitter. He's the leadoff man, and he hits home runs every time he gets up here. So if this is your first time, please return and hear our lead pastor. But John Mark shares with us on a number of occasions his messages uh, from the Coast Guard. So John Mark, if you're watching, we love you, and we hope you're getting some rest, and we look forward to you coming back. All right, thank you. Now, you may be wondering, what is he doing with all of this? Where's he going? So here's the deal. I gave people the same information, the same resources, the same time, and they all produced different results. That proved the hypothesis that I pretty much thought it would, that we all respond differently to the same information. All of these people are in this church. So even within this small context, people were responding differently to the same information. And that is so true when it comes to the message of Jesus Christ. Have you ever noticed that you can be sitting next to someone in a service or you can be talking about faith and the person responds one way and you respond differently? I could literally have four people seated in a line and share the same message with them, and they will all respond totally differently. Same instruction, same time to respond. Why is that? This isn't just an issue today. Jesus actually knew people would respond differently to his message, and in fact, he told a story about it. We're going to look at that this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 13 this morning. So if you have a paper Bible or an electronic Bible, you can go ahead and open it and switch it on. Matthew chapter 13. If not, don't worry because it will be on the screen behind me. But this is our subject, our title this morning. How are we responding to Jesus? How are we responding to Jesus? And we're going to read through a story We're going to see how Jesus told us that people would respond to his message. And then we're going to bring it down to some application. So I'm going to give you a little bit of uh, opening introduction. We'll set a foundation. We'll uh, we'll look at sort of um, context. And then we'll go to the actual meaning of the story itself. We'll get into it. I'll explain it. And then finally, we'll end up with some application. But before I get to God's word, let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you've given us uh, this moment in time this morning. I thank you for every single person who is listening to this message, Uh, those who are tuning in online, those who are here in person, and I believe that there is no mistake in those who are hearing these words right now. We believe in your sovereignty, and so we believe that you have intentionally brought us in this way to hear these words. So may our hearts be open to hear what you're saying. I ask you, Father, that uh, you would take my words and you would change them in whatever way so that they, they impact every person. We realize, oh God, that uh, this moment right now, this, uh, this has the potential to keep on echoing into eternity. 
And we pray that the Holy Spirit would so direct our minds that we would all leave either this place this morning or switch off from online feeling that we have had an encounter with you. And so we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let me give the setting, the lay the foundation for this story that Jesus told so that we can answer the question, how are we responding to Jesus? I'm going to start reading in Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 13, and I'm just going to read the first three verses, first of all. So Matthew chapter 13, starting at verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables. All right, let me pause there. So this particular description of what's going on begins with this quite important opening statement, that same day. So our ears need to prick up at that because we're being told something has already happened before Jesus began speaking this particular story. That day actually started back in the last chapter, about halfway through Matthew chapter 12. And I'm just going to tell you it's a day of severe opposition to Jesus. It's a day like none other, actually, when the religious leaders in Israel they officially reject Jesus. In fact, rather than attribute his teachings and his miracles to God, they attribute it to Satan. They call Jesus satanic. It is the day on which Israel rejects Jesus as the Messiah. Severe oppression. So it's on that day that Jesus began teaching in a slightly different way. He began teaching in parables, Now, let me tell you what a parable is, just in case you don't know. Uh, The easiest way you can understand a parable is a short story, uh, a fictitious story. And it's a story that uh, Jesus often used, it's a kind of story that Jesus often used, that would draw upon characters or objects that were very familiar to the people hearing. Uh, In fact, the word parable literally means, and it's very, very root meaning, uh, comparison or alongside of. So you know the word parallel, well, parable has a similar meaning because it's something alongside something else. It is really a character that's familiar to the people that are hearing it, or an object that's familiar to the people hearing it, and that's in parallel to a truth from God. So Jesus used these kinds of stories to relate to people in a way that he could reveal a truth about God. That's what a parable is. We use stories all the time, whether it's in you know, teaching, preaching, whether, whether as a parent, or if you teach young children, how often do you start off with once upon a time? Yeah, those key words, they cause us to lean in because there's something about a story that, that hooks our attention. How many of you have been to the movie theater and you've waited for those timeless words, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And and you're in, you're there. Why? Because there's something about stories that gets our attention. And so Jesus is, is using that to teach truths about God. And you may wonder, what's this whole getting into the boat thing, by the way? Well, there's a large crowd gathered on the lakeside 
of the Sea of Galilee, and because, you know, Jesus didn't have one of these ear mics, uh, the best way to amplify his voice is to just push out just a little bit in a boat, because water is a natural amplifier. I don't know whether you realize that, but water is a natural amplifier. So, a day of severe oppression against Jesus, a day of the religious leadership rejecting him as being from God, and so he began teaching in a slightly different way. He began teaching through these stories, these parables. So let's get into the parable. I'm going to read it right through now. Matthew chapter 13, about halfway through verse 3, and I'll just go down to verse 9, and I'll read it all the way through, and then we'll begin explaining it. So Matthew chapter 13, about halfway through verse 3. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He or she who has ears, let them hear. Okay, one of the best things that you can do whenever you encounter a parable is to identify who or what is in it. Yeah, produce a cast list. Who are the characters? What are the objects? So in this particular parable, the parable of the sower, we have the sower, first of all. And if you want to, you can think farmer, okay? So we've got the sower. We then have uh, an object, and that would be the seed, okay? So you've got the sower, you've got the seed. And the third, third main component is a field. Now, there are four different areas within the field. There's a path. There's some soil with rocks in, there's some soil with thorns in, and then there's fertile soil. So that's kind of what we're dealing with. So this is what I want you to do. I want us to, to draw ourselves into this story. Imagine you're J.J. Abrams or some other movie director. Imagine you had to film this scene. So I want you to picture a field in some sort of you know, arid climate, warm climate, it's not in today's setting, it's uh, you know, that's some 2,000 years ago, so your, your sower, your farmer is in some sort of toga or, or tunic, probably got a, uh, you know, like a, a man bag round about here, and as the farmer is walking through the field, he's just dipping his hand in the bag and he's scattering seed. And as he scatters, because he's walking across the entire field, some of it falls in different areas. So he scatters some seed, and it just happens to fall on a pathway that goes through the center of the field. The pathway is hard, it's unbroken, and so the seed just lies, lies on the surface. And what happens is the ever-circling birds come down, and they, they take the seed. So the seed is not transformed. Nothing happens to it. As he continues walking, and he's scattering his seed, some of his seed falls upon ground that has been broken, and it receives the seed... As a little bit of time passes, the seed is transformed, and let's say wheat begins to grow, but there's something in the ground that prevents it from really growing, and it's rocks, it's stones, and so there's, uh, you know, the, the sun scorches the wheat, and it's not fruitful. 
And the farmer's continuing to walk through his field and he's continuing to scatter some seed. And this time it lands on ground that again is open, it's receptive, it receives the seed. And sometime later the seed is transformed and it begins to grow. But it's not the only thing growing in that part of the field. There are weeds that also grow and they impact the fruitfulness. But then fourthly, the farmer is in some areas of the field and as he scatters the seed, it falls into good soil. The soil's been prepared. The soil has been cultivated. The soil has been weeded. And so the seed is received into the ground and it's transformed and it does what seed is supposed to do. It produces fruit. Now these three components, the sower, the seed, the ground, they represent different things. The sower is Jesus. The seed is his message. You might call it the gospel, but it's the message of salvation. The field, me and you, the different parts of the field are different people and the way that they respond to the message of Jesus. The emphasis in this story is not on the sower. You might think that's odd to hear in a church, yet Jesus isn't the emphasis in this particular parable. He's not. He never changes. The sower never changes. The seed is actually not the emphasis either, because the seed never changes. The emphasis in this particular parable is on the ground. The four different kinds of ground and the four different ways that they respond to the seed, the message. So this is this parable in a nutshell, okay? In a nutshell. This is a message, and it uses farming as, a, as a, a, a metaphor, if you will, to indicate that different people will respond differently to the gospel. We will all respond differently to that same message that is sowed by the same farmer, Jesus. Why is that? Well, fortunately for us, we're going to have quite a detailed explanation. I read this, you know, and I I don't know about you, but I sometimes think, well, okay, I get it, it's a parable, but I don't really relate to agriculture. Uh, After all, I live in Asheville, and in fact, from the UK, I came from Manchester, so I'm I'm a city slicker, so I struggle a little to relate to an agricultural story. I don't know if you do as well, and I actually think if Jesus was in Asheville today, I think he would tell us the parable of the craft beers. (laughs) I'm convinced of it. He would draw upon local cultural context. Uh, he, he would say, some of you are like a sour ale. Yeah, you're bitter and no one really likes you. <laughs> he would say, some of you are like a, uh, a barrel-aged imperial stout. You're very mature, but not many people can handle you. He would say, others of you are like a triple-hopped IPA. Everyone pretends to like you because they think it's cool, but deep down, no one can stand you. <laughs> and he would say, some of you are like a... Uh, a crisp amber ale. You're refreshing all year round and everyone can benefit from you. But we're not, he was not in Asheville in the 21st century, so we'll go back to our agricultural first century, okay? And fortunately for us, this is one of the very few parables that Jesus completely explained from start to finish. So all I'm going to do is to read out to you the explanation that Jesus gave. So if our question is, how are we responding to Jesus, this is how the first person responds, okay? Number one, some people hear 
about Jesus. Some people hear the gospel, but they don't believe. Some people hear about Jesus, but they don't believe. All right, let me show you this. Matthew chapter 13, just a little bit further on now from verse 18. Matthew 13, 18. This is Jesus interpreting his own parable. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his or her heart. This is what was sown along the path. So that first seed that was sown and fell on that unbroken, hard path, Jesus said, yeah, that represents someone who has not believed, who has not understood at all. Some people hear about Jesus, but they don't believe. Why? Well, he told us, the evil one comes and snatches away. In the same way that the birds swooped down and ate up the seed, Jesus said, yeah, the birds represent Satan. And in fact, just so that you know, in Hebrew literature, birds are frequently used to describe the work of Satan. Now, you may be sitting here right now, and you may think, the devil, the evil one, Satan, really? I don't think so. All right, hear me. The greatest accomplishment of Satan today is to convince people he does not exist. The greatest thing he has done is to convince people that some guy in a red suit and a pitchfork that appears at Halloween. That's what he wants you to know because he is a ravaging evil force in this world, doing everything he can to stop people coming to faith in Christ because the moment they do, eternity changes for them. So you may, and you may know people who have heard about things of Jesus in the past, but it's just, it hasn't felt like it's been for you, and you need to know right now that's because Satan, the devil, is at work to actively prevent you from coming to faith. And the first step of combating that is to know who your foe is, who the enemy is. I'm going to come back to this, okay? So some people hear about Jesus but don't believe. Secondly, some believe but stumble. Some believe, but stumble. Let me go back to the text. So Matthew chapter 13 from verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he or she falls away. So this is the seed that was sown, and it falls into ground. The ground's open. The ground receives it. The seed is transformed, and yet there's something in the ground that prevents it from actually producing the fruit it's supposed to, rocks. If you are a gardener of any kind, you know that you have to remove any rocks from your soil in order for roots to develop. You see, contrary to what we see above ground, it's what happens below ground that's the most important for any kind of plant. Roots are the organs of plants, of trees, of shrubs, of bushes. Yeah, we've got a brain, a heart, livers, kidneys. For a plant, it's its root system because the root system absorbs the nutrient. The root system anchors it into the soil so that it can withstand anything that comes against it. And when that root system is not developed, cannot absorb the nutrients, then 
when harsh times, and then the, the metaphor of a plant comes, so uh, harsh rain, harsh winds, the, the basking sun, it wilts because it's got nothing to help it through that difficult time. And in the church today, there are those who, they come to faith, they believe, they're very joyful, but they neglect to cultivate that faith. And so what happens is, because they haven't invested any time in developing spiritual roots, when they hit times of difficulty, and we all hit times of difficulty, there's nothing to keep them anchored in that hope. And so, Jesus said they fall away. You may have heard expressions like backslide. Uh, It's a a sin. It's some element of They don't appear to be as strong and on fire in the faith as they used to be. Why? Because they didn't cultivate that faith. They have no spiritual roots. Nothing has been absorbing nutrients to help them through that time. So um, job loss comes, financial difficulty, a a marriage breaks up, a relationship breaks up, or illness hits, and there's nothing to keep a person rooted in the hope that they have. No root. They fall away. So some people hear about Jesus but don't believe. Some people believe but they, they, they stumble. Some people believe, thirdly, but they're distracted. Some people believe but they are distracted. Let's go back to the text, Matthew chapter 13 from verse 22. Jesus said, As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word but... The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So the sower sowing the seed, it falls into ground, the ground's open, it receives it, the seed's transformed, something begins to grow, but it's not alone. The weed begins to grow, the thorns begin to grow. And any gardener will tell you that the important thing of pulling weeds out of the ground is so that they don't steal the nutrients that the plant needs. A weed will grow up and it will just overshadow a plant so that it's starved of sunlight. It'll take all the moisture from the roots around it so that the plant has none. It it will, how many of you have got this ivy in your yard that just wraps around trees? Yeah, that's what a weed does agriculturally. So in the metaphor of spiritually, there are distractions. There are things that grow up uh, alongside of our faith. Things that need to be pulled out and rooted because if not, they cause us as believers to be unfruitful. And Jesus identified these as the cares of the world, of riches. Now that's not necessarily a bad thing in and of itself, having things of the world. Jesus never said that money itself was sinful. He said it's the love of money that's sinful. And so this could be a job. You need a job, right, to provide. This could be a, um, a hobby. You need a hobby to switch off and to relax. Everyone needs to do that. But it's when these things take the priority over, they grow over, they dominate over faith, that they begin to cause someone to become distracted. And so there's some weeding, some spiritual weeding that needs to take place. And I mean, if I'm, if I'm really honest, this is where I, I, I find myself over and over again. Again, if you have any kind of garden, you realize you don't pull the weeds out once. I do it all the time in my yard. It's something we have to keep doing. We have to keep pulling them up, but I'll get to that as well. So some people hear about Jesus but don't believe. 
Some people uh, believe and yet they stumble. Some people believe and yet they're distracted. Finally, some believe and they are fruitful. They are fruitful. So Matthew chapter 13, verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. It literally means believe. They understand it. He or she indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. This is what the farmer wanted. This is what the seed's supposed to do. It's supposed to grow and produce fruit. Now, don't get distracted by the reference to hundredfold, thirtyfold, sixtyfold, etc. There's no quota with God. He's not saying you've got to produce so and so amount. You've got to lead so many people to Jesus. Don't emphasize the quota because that's not the emphasis. The emphasis is on fruitfulness, it is on living that life for Christ. This is the person that hears the message and understands it. The message of Jesus Christ is life transforming. It is a call literally to live a life of sacrifice for God and for others. So we looked at a foundation of this message of what was happening around Jesus in that day. And incidentally, the Pharisees, the people that rejected Jesus, they're the seed that falls on the pathway and is snatched up by Satan. So we understood the background. We've examined the parable itself and its meaning There's one final step for us, and I actually think it's the most important for us this morning, and it's application. Application. You see, if we just read through any part of the Bible and don't apply it, all we're doing is we're building ourselves up theologically, spiritually, and we become arrogant. So what I want to do is give each one of us, and I'm speaking to myself, each one of us some steps, some application. All right? So first of all, the first step, it's believe. Believe. This entire message has culminated to this point. If you're here or if you're watching online and you have not put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, then this is for you. This is the seed. God made you. God sees you. God knows you. God loves you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to love him. You see, the world around us right now is not the world that God made. When God created the world, it was a perfect world. And those first human beings had a perfect relationship with God. They knew him, but they disobeyed him. That disobedience, it's called sin. And that just shattered mankind's relationship with God. From that point, that first rebellion against God, it was impossible and is still impossible for mankind, for humankind, to know God. We are all now inherently rebels towards God, and we cannot know Him. That means that we are deserving of judgment. And you may think, hang on a minute, God's love, right? How does a loving God judge? Okay, well, let's say that um, someone were to break into my house and steal everything. I'd want them to be arrested. I want them to face trial. I would want them to be convicted. I would not at all be impressed if a judge said, hey, you're free. Let's not deal with this. Doesn't matter. Doesn't count. Now, I want justice to be served. Well, how much so should justice be served against an eternal God? God does judge because God is loving. And so we stand in this place of judgment 
without Christ. But God loves us so much, he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who died for us on our behalf. It's sort of we step out of that ring of judgment and Jesus stepped into it. And now through faith in him, we are completely restored to God. And we will never face God as sinners again. That's the seed. Believe. Number two, there are some of us here this morning, we need to do some cultivating. That means we need to spend time in our root system. We've believed, but we're not in the Word. We're not with other believers. We're not with other Christians. We're, we're not spending time cultivating our faith so that when we encounter those difficulties, we're ready for it. And so I want to urge you to be in the Word of God. And if you do not have a Bible, if you have a smartphone, you can download a free app. It's called YouVersion or any number of apps. And you can open up and you can start reading free of charge immediately. And if you don't know where to read... Start with the Gospel of Matthew or the second book. Mark, it's even shorter. Here at the gathering, we believe in the importance of, of being in the Word together. So getting involved with others in community is vital. So some of us need to cultivate. Thirdly, some of us need to weed. And I've already told you, I find myself here more and more frequently. My job or it gets in the way of uh, commitments or priorities that uh, I know I should be making to uh, the work that Jesus is doing. And, and some of you, you fill in the blank there. You know what is shading and overshadowing and choking your faith. And we need to do some weeding. Because all of us, fourthly, are called to grow. We're all called to grow. Following Jesus Christ is not a stagnant thing. It's a journey. It's a lifetime journey, but it's a journey of growth. And here at the gathering, we want to come alongside of you, alongside each other, to help each other in that. Because we're all called to produce fruit, to live the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray now, and I'm going to pray especially for anyone in that first group, the Believe group, but for all of us. Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Father, I thank you again for this Sunday morning. I pray now for anybody who is seeking you for the first time. For them, I pray now these words, Father, forgive me for everything that has led me to this point, for my mistakes, for my sin, I want to let go of all of that now at the feet of Jesus. I believe that you love me and you sent your son for me. And I want my life to start again right now today. For all of us here, Father, we want to take that next step towards growth. We want to be the people that you've saved us to be. So help us to cultivate, to know how to read your word or how to pray or, or how to get connected with people. Help us as a church to get alongside uh, one another to do that. Help us to weed, to be honest, to recognize the things that are hindering our spiritual growth. And oh God, I pray, may we grow together in this city or wherever you have planted us until Jesus comes again. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. 
The Gathering Church podcast is produced by the Gathering Church creative team. Want to get involved? Fill out a Connect card online at gatherashville.org, find us on Facebook at The Gathering Church, or on Instagram at Gather Asheville.